Thank you very much, and what an honor to be with you tonight. Thank you for having me along for this fantastic retreat. I understand this is your first men's retreat. In a long time. In, yes. a lo- in a long time. Well, this is a delight, and thank you for having me. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. O most loving Father, who willest us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of thee, and to cast all our care on thee who carest for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal, and which thou hast manifested unto us in thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, who has taught us that in all our doings without charity are nothing worth, send thy Holy Ghost and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Grant this for thine only Son, Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go right into our discussion this evening and to discuss, present a little bit about the subject of acedia. We have read, for those of us who have read the texts which have been recommended, that acedia is the sin of our own age. And certainly it is. It has been very accurately and very uh, precisely used to diagnose the malaise the spiritual torpor of our own civilization as we live at what is probably the decline or the demise of Western civilization as we have known it. But in fact, acedia goes back to the very earliest tradition of the church and was identified by the early fathers as the noonday devil, as you probably have discovered in your own reading or exploration. Why is it called the noonday demon or the noonday devil? Because it strikes in the midst of us. It strikes in the light of day. And although it was in early centuries considered the most dangerous and the most uh, threatening sin or temptation for the monk, for the man or woman who had committed himself or herself to the monastic life, it is emblematic, it is representative of that danger which lies for every Christian in the spiritual life. If we think of St. John Cassian's famous phrase, every Christian is called to have the heart of a monk. That is, every Christian, although we may not live in a monastery or in a monastic community, each one of us is called to have that singleness of heart with which we consecrate the soul and the life to God. And if we seek to engender that kind of singleness of heart, that unique concentration, that absolute commitment to God, then we will find that acedia is the one greatest temptation to pull us away from that motion and act of the will. And this is why the early desert fathers and St. Benedict and St. Augustine and ultimately St. Thomas Aquinas all dwell on the question of acedia. Now, to get a sense of what this sin is and what it represents for us and what it presents to the Christian soul, one need only go into medieval art. Now, I don't have one of those fancy PowerPoint screens, and if I did, I would show you a picture. If you go into medieval cathedrals, 
you will find representations of acedia along with all the other deadly sins placed sort of as, sort of as gargoyles uh, around a medieval cathedral. And normally, acedia is portrayed as a man who is sort of slumped over and lying to the side, or a man who is staring up into space who seems to have absolutely no clue what's going on. Uh, that would be an accurate description of the sin. We get a, 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 vi a visible, a, a sort of tangible representation, manifestation, an iconographic form of what acedia is. So in this first session, I'd like to take a little time with you tonight and just talk about what is this sin and how is it described by the faith of the church. Many of us may not have even before encountered the term acedia. It is not commonly found in books on theology. In fact, many of us who went through seminary and trained even at the postgraduate level in moral theology may not have run into this specific description of a particular sin, but it looms, it hovers over the Christian conscience and the awareness of its reality goes very deep to the heart of the Christian faith. So let's talk about in this first session, the disease. What is the disease of acedia? And then in the next session, we will discuss its cure. Tomorrow, when we have time, we'll talk about how the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love relate to overcome acedia. But tonight, we want to concentrate on what the church has taught us about this sin and then concentrate on what the cure is for the human person. So let's get started. Acedia, as defined by the early church, is a sort of boring or bored sadness and sloth. St. Thomas Aquinas says that acedia is the opposite of spiritual joy. We think of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit listed in the epistle to the Galatians. And amongst them, joy is one of the most profound. As one Christian writer put it, a joyless Christian is not only an oxymoron, but a monstrosity. And truly, that is the case. We should not envision a Christian life without joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The joy of salvation. The joy of divinization. That we are being brought by Christ into the communion of the Holy Trinity. To partake in the very life of the Godhead himself. To have that mutual indwelling with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spiritual joy arises from the fact that we were, by no merit of our own, called into perichoresis, mutual indwelling with God. We were called into theosis, to become God by grace, to become by grace what God is by nature. That is the Christian vocation. That is what was implanted in us in baptism. When Christ implanted his life in us, his incarnation, life, death, resurrection, exaltation. All of that was implanted into our souls in baptism so that we become, at the moment of baptism, Trinitarian. We become, as St. Peter writes in his second epistle in the first chapter, we become partakers of the divine nature. That is the dignity of the adopted Son of God 
that is the dignity of one who is regenerated in Jesus Christ and made a new creation, participant in the new creation himself, who is the Lord Jesus. That is the origin of spiritual joy. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a state of being that rises above the vicissitudes of life itself. And God presents himself in our lives as joy. And we rejoice in him because of what he has done for us, for who he is, and where he has placed us. Acedia is the opposite of that spiritual joy. And there are many words we can use to describe it, and we will, beginning now. Uh, is it just sloth? We think of sloth as laziness. A slothful person would be, for example, my 13-year-old son. When he decides <laughs> he wants to play some kind of game rather than do his homework. We think of that as sloth. Sloth is the person who procrastinates, who puts things off who finds himself sort of bound to earth and slow in movement, slow in mind. Is that really what acedia is? It's a part of it. It is a part of it. It is sloth in that sense, but it is a sloth that is engendered by a serious defect and disease of the soul. So acedia has been described as boredom, Boredom, meaning that everything that one would find energizing, tantalizing, inviting, tasteful, desirous in life, has gone away. The joy of life has disappeared. The richness of life has vanished. The person who suffers from acedia no longer takes joy or happiness in being oneself or living in the world. It is a form of spiritual slavery, and one is so bound to oneself and to one's own ego and one's own self-conceit that there is no joy to be found in the grasshopper or the tree or the blue sky or the bright shining sun. There is no joy in other people and having genuine love and relationships with others. This is the kind of disease that we're talking about. Boredom on such a scale that life itself is devoid of any significance or genuine meaning apart from one's own assertion to power and control of one's own environment. It's almost like magic in a sense. You think of occultism and magic. Magic is the effort to manipulate and control one's environment apart from God. And you might almost say that acedia is almost a magical formula for despair and misery. It is that kind of boredom. It is sadness because we have set aside in acedia the things that really give life meaning, buoyancy, joy, and the sense of inspiration, of being uplifted in life. There is a deep depression a deep sadness that comes with acedia because it robs the person of the ability to relate and connect to God and other people in the good world that God has made. And that results in a spiritual sadness or depression. Not talking about 
a diagnosable medical condition like clinical depression. No, this is actually much deeper. It's a sadness in oneself and in one's perception of the world. Basically, acedia leads a person to say there is nothing worth. And therefore, the only thing that remains is oneself in isolation and tragedy. This is why in one of the books that you might have read, Acedia leads to a natural nihilism, a belief that there is nothing worth, nothing good, nothing meaningful, nothing of significance in our lives. So this is not merely sloth, it is a listlessness. There is a restlessness to acedia. As has been pointed out by the early fathers, the person afflicted by acedia may in fact be quite frantic, may in fact even be manic, moving to and fro, moving from activity to activity in the search to find meaning. There is a listlessness of the soul, which could could actually propel a person to become overactive or hyperactive in the search for something that fills the gap. It makes us think of St. Augustine's famous, wonderful phrase, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Or as I think it was uh, the early 21st century musician, Jewel, who made a rock song who said that there is a God-shaped hole in all of us, the God-shaped hole. And acedia opens up that hole more and more because the God-shaped hole in the soul will not be filled, will not be filled, because the choice is ours. And acedia is, in fact, an act of the will. It is a disposition towards God and towards the self which really refuses his love and his presence. We might say that this restlessness, this listlessness, then eventually does become, in those who have an acute case of this, a sluggishness or an aimlessness in life. Life without meaning, life without significance, life without a point of reference beyond itself. Life without any kind of focus on what is true and real beyond one's own self, in which one is captivated, one is held bound by one's own decision, ultimately to heed to this temptation to make oneself the center of all things. And with that, certainly listlessness, sluggishness, aimlessness in life. That also, of course, is complete boredom. Now, here's an aspect of acedia that's probably, arguably, the most insidious of all. Acedia, as this sad, bored sloth of the soul, leads to a loss of identity, a loss of the consciousness of being itself, a loss of ontology. In the wonderful book, uh, entitled Acedia, which was by oh, the, the uh, author. I read the whole book. What is his name? R.N. Snell? R.J. R.J.? R.J.? Snell? Snell. In the Snell book, 
he goes into great detail on the issue of ontology as being and how acedia separates us from that. Acedia, as this listless, restless searching for meaning without having the meaning of life and of the soul grounded and rooted in God, leads to such a disintegration of personality and being that there is an existential crisis, an existential loss, because God cannot be recognized any longer as God, as the creator of all things, and no longer can the acedia-struck soul recognize that everything that exists proceeds from God out of his creative will. There is literally a disintegration of the soul in acedia, a disintegration. One ceases to have integration with God and God's good world. When I was in graduate school, I studied with Dominicans. Dominicans come from the Augustinians originally, but they like to say that they were very different from other religious orders in the Roman Catholic tradition or the Catholic tradition. We Anglicans have Dominicans as well as Franciscans and Augustinians. The Dominicans said, we take delight in all things and we enjoy the created world. And I said, well, give me an example of that. And they said, come to our room tonight. And I did. They had beer laid out, and they were going to watch Babylon 5. Anyone remember <laughs> Babylon 5 on television? That, that, for those of you of a certain age, you won't remember Babylon 5. It was a wonderful sci-fi TV show. Well, go look it up. You'll, you'll love it. It's very good. I'm, I'm dating myself. You had to be around in the 90s, you know, to really enjoy that. So Babylon 5. So the Dominicans were on to something. They were on to the incarnational principle. Good wine, good beer, good fellowship and friendship, good TV, entertainment, and enjoying being with one another and taking delight in the things that God has made. Acedia is a loss of identity with God, with the created order, and with one's self. A loss of the understanding that we possess intrinsic, absolute, objective being. Now, is this not the disease that is destroying the West at this very moment? What is destroying the West? It is the loss of a belief, of a recognition that things are created as they are by God and that there is, in fact, a divine order in creation, a created order in which God is creator and we participate in creation by virtue of God's goodness and love, and that all things are created by God and they are instantiated by God with a being, a reality that derives from God himself. As we teach little children in confirmation class, nothing exists apart from the will of God. God wills everything to be that is. And if God were to cease to think of that vase on the mantle, it would disappear. God wills things into existence by his almighty power. And our existence as human beings in the image and likeness of God, body and soul, we exist in God's mind and by God's fiat. Every created thing 
participates in God by God's volitional will, his volitional act of creation. Acedia is so insidious, it is so invidious, that it robs human beings of the very reality of who they are. They lose a sense of ontology, of being, that God is, and that God is also creator, and that we have been created, and that all things have been created in a wondrous order devised by God's omnipotent providence and his eternal will. Acedia robs the soul of this and brings about a horrific existential crisis, a loss of faith in being itself. Beyond this, we find that acedia is meaningless. It is busyness. It is distraction. Distraction from creation. And this is the problem that it creates. There's a disorientation in the panic, in the fever to find meaning, to go from pleasure to pleasure, satisfaction to satisfaction, acedia leads a person ultimately to be completely distracted, to be taken off the track, as it were, of life and meaning itself. A complete disorientation is rendered in the person. There can be a plethora of things, activities, ideas, pursuits that come about because of acedia, but it's all sort of tragically sad and empty. All of the frenetic activity of the person who suffers from this, searching in a panicked way, in a feverish way for meaning, all of this busyness is of no meaning, of no significance. Moving from thing to thing to thing, trying to find some kind of meaning. And yet there is in acedia this horrible distraction from what is real. If we want to summarize what acedia is, we might actually just call it unreality. Because it divorces the human person from God. It divorces the human person from other human beings in a substantial and significant relationship. And it isolates the individual from his own very self. So there is a complete disorientation, a complete confusion of what it means to be human, what it means to to be alive, what it means to be created by God. So where does that lead us? Acedia, therefore, breeds narcissism. Now, narcissism is very easy to identify in the modern era. We live in the era of the selfie. We live in the era of the gram, as Kanye West sings in his album, Jesus is King. Put aside or put away the gram, the Instagram, that fuels the narcissism of our age. Self-love. So if there is an existential crisis, if there is no reference to God or to others created by God or ourselves in the image and likeness of God, then acedia is by its very nature self-referential. It refers only to the individual who becomes the measure and the mark 
of all things. It is, in fact, self-absorption. Another term we can use for acedia is self-absorption. What is the concern of the person who submits to this temptation, to this sin? The only concern is the self. Everything else goes away. Concern for anything else or anyone else disappears. The only real concern in life is for the satiation, for the satisfying of the self. This is disintegration, of course. Disintegration from ourselves. Disintegration from creation. This is how we get pulled away, like Wendell Berry. I know all of you probably know him well. And being a southern agrarian myself, I love his work. And I grew up on a chicken farm in North Carolina, so I have appreciation for the land too. And when you grow up that way, you have a love for the land. And his point is that acedia, being selfishness, being self-absorption, pulls us away from the things that make us human. It pulls us away from the things that make us authentic and real. And that means the way that we were, we were created by God. This is played out in so many different ways, in so many different manifestations in our own age. Men who do not understand their own bodies, men who do not understand the body of the woman, of his wife, men who do not understand the body of a child, men who do not recognize or acknowledge the goodness of the land and of the creation. All of this is disordered because of acedia, because acedia pulls us entirely within. And so we are disintegrated from the very creation which nurtures us and gives us life. How else can we describe this sin? If it is a pulling away from the land, a pulling away from the earth, a pulling away from God's good creation, a pulling away from the new creation, of the creation renewed and redeemed by Christ. Acedia sees itself as limitless freedom. But let's do this. Let's be sure to do this. Freedom in quotes, right? Freedom. Everybody wants their freedom. They want to be free. What did St. Augustine say about that? He said, there is no freedom without order. Without order, there is only chaos and destruction. St. Augustine says, there can only be genuine freedom within order. And yet, Acedia says the opposite. It tantalizes us, it attracts us with a limitless freedom that engenders nothing other than chaos, displacement, and isolation from one's true self and from the world. A freedom without limits is not freedom. It is absolute slavery. It is, in fact, domination by powers outside of oneself. Limitless freedom without order is diabolical because it leads to self-destruction. That is the heart of acedia. The self-destruction, that results, what do we see in that? We see hatred, hatred of self, hatred of station, hatred of place, hatred of history, hatred of one's own body, 
Hatred of one's relationship to other people. Hatred of being who one really is. It is a refusal of God. It refuses God's goodness, refuses God's love, refuses God's demands. For a loving father will always require things of his children so that they may have a happy life, a good life, a life that has structure, meaning, purpose, telos, a life that has ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction, perfection. Asidia leads us away from telos, leads us away from God, leads us away from the, pur- from the purpose for which we were made. And therefore, it is the refusal of God. It would rather wallow in self-pity than embrace the God who loves and makes us. It is finally, therefore, the refusal of happiness. It is a willful refusal to take upon that which makes one genuinely and truly happy. So the sense of radical self-assertion, the sense of radical self-assignation, without God, without the good, is without love. The result of ascedia is a life without love, bereft of the weight of glory, bereft of the weight of what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. To be divorced from God is to be divorced from one's own true destiny, one's own true vocation. A life free of accountability, a life free of responsibility, is a life that does not care. It does not care for itself. It does not care that it does not care. It is careless about everything. Careless about itself, careless about others, but ultimately, finally, it just doesn't care at all about anything at all. Brother John Charles was a great Anglican theologian, a Franciscan bishop, who said, We've often heard the phrase, one can be so heavenly-minded as to be no earthly good. And that's true. What is the sin, though, of ascedia? It is to be so earthly-minded that one is immobile. One is incapable of moving beyond oneself. One is incapable of moving in any direction other than one's own selfishness. And this immobility created by acedia is what we call sloth. So I've just attempted to take you on a wide circle of acedia. Where does it begin and where does it end? It begins with boredom and sloth. And where does it end? Boredom and sloth. But in the process, we lose our soul and we lose our relationship with God and we lose our relationship with each other, and we lose our relationship with what God has made, we lose our relationship with what it means to be human. In the next presentation, we'll discuss the cure. Thank you.